Hear the word of God from Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. This reading comes from the New Revised Standard Version, and you can find the reading on page 888 in the Pew Bible. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in their own languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear, each of us, in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Philgra, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? The word of God for the world. Speak to God. Well, can you imagine that scene from 2,000 years ago? I bet we couldn't have put together a more diverse group, a more motley bunch of folks than the ones who experienced that first Pentecost Sunday so long ago. I mean, these were, these were fishermen, they were tax collectors, doctors, lawyers, people who were from the area, people from far away, all coming together. And I, I bet you couldn't put together a more unsuspecting group of people either. I mean, how could they have possibly known when they got up that morning, that they would experience what they experienced. They were just there for a festival. But before they knew it, there was that single dramatic moment. I mean, you heard it. There was a sound of a rushing wind. There were little sparks of fire descending upon them. All of a sudden, they started speaking different languages, but they could understand each other. This was an amazing moment when the Spirit touched the earth and lit a little spark. And how could they have known at that moment that that spark would turn into a brush fire and spread all throughout the world and even all throughout time to where that Spirit is still moving 2,000 years later? How could they have known that Pentecost was going to happen? Pentecost moment that was anchored by two things for those people that day, a common identity and a common purpose. Those were the two gifts of Pentecost for those very different unsuspecting people, a common identity and a common purpose. First of all, there was a common identity that all of a sudden they had everything in common now, that's hard to imagine today. That's not our default mode when it comes to relating to people, especially people we don't know, strangers that we meet for the first time. What we're really good at is not finding commonalities, but looking for differentials, putting together boxes to put people into. K 
categories that we cram folks into so that we can get a handle on them and we keep them there, whether they like it or not. That's what we do when we try to get to know each other. We ask ourselves those box questions, and oftentimes those are binary boxes, either or. Do they live here, or are they from far away? Are they pro this, or are they pro that? Are they red, or are they blue? Are they like me, or are they not? Those are the boxes, those either or boxes. And we put people in there, and we keep them there. I, I love to do this, whether I, whether I can sense it or not. I have done this to people, and folks have done that to me particularly when it comes to my ethnicity. When sometimes when folks meet me for the first time, they, they want to know what kind of box to put me into. And sometimes they'll ask the question this way, where are you from? Occasionally, they will ask the question this way. They'll look me in the eye and say, where are you from? As if I'm not only a foreigner, I've got some brain deformity and my, my ears are deaf. I'd love to answer in this way. Florida. <laughs> and they never know what to do with that answer. So oftentimes they'll ask a follow-up question. No, 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 no. Where were you born? To which I say, Fort Lauderdale. I came across a video not too long ago, and I, the first time I watched it, I just howled with laughter. I've experienced this moment many times, either as the person asking the question or the person responding. Hi there. Hi. Nice day, huh? Yeah, finally, right? Where are you from? Your English is perfect. San Diego. We speak English there. Oh, uh, no. Uh, <clears throat> where are you from? Well, I was born in Orange County, but I never actually lived there. Uh, I mean before that. Before I was born. Yeah, like, well, uh, where are your people from? Well, my great-grandma was from Seoul. Korean. I knew it. I was like, she's either Japanese or Korean. But I was leaning more towards Korean. Amazing. Ham <laughs> Shasina. There's a really good teriyaki barbecue place near my apartment. So I actually really like kimchi. Cool. What about you? Where are you from? San Francisco. But where are you from? Oh, I'm, I'm just American. Really? You're Native American? No, uh, just regular American. Oh, well, uh, I guess my grandparents are from England. Oh, well. Hello, Gandalf! What's all this then? Top of the morning to you. Let's get a small tea, small tea! <laughs> double, double, toil and trouble! <laughs> Mind the gap! Beware, Jack the Ripper! Bloody hell! Pip, pip! Cheerio! <laughs> I think your people's fish and chips are amazing. <laughs> You're weird. Really? I'm weird? Must be a Korean thing. <laughs> oh, I'm going to have to learn a British accent, I think. 
You know, there are so many ways that that first Pentecost Sunday could have gone very wrong. It could have wound up very differently. Because in that moment, there was a whole diversity of people. Ethnically, yes, but in so many other ways. It was a diverse group of folks. In fact, the second chapter of Acts goes to great lengths to tell us just how different they were. You heard it in the scripture reading earlier. There were Parthians and Medes and Cappadocians and Libyans, Egyptians. There were Jews. There were Arabs. It is by far the toughest scripture reading we ask any lay person to read any time throughout the year, and Sheila nailed it, so thank you very much, Sheila, you did a great job. But Acts would tell us that this was a diverse group of folks, and the tendency should have been for all of those folks to put people into boxes and keep them there. But you know what happened? In that Pentecost moment, the Spirit touched the earth, and God obliterated those boxes. No longer will you be defined by either or categories, convenient categories for you to get a handle on people. From now on, this different group of people would have a common identity, which is that they are all children of God and that they are all now followers of Jesus Christ. That's what happened in Pentecost. And that, frankly, is in our DNA because we are still the church that was birthed 2,000 years ago. And therefore, we are not to be defined by our differences. We are to be defined by our commonality, which means that when you see a stranger on the street, when you see someone that you don't know, your first instinct ought to be that that person is a child of God just like you. And that when you see someone in the church who's different from you, maybe they're of a different perspective or ideology, maybe they've wronged you, maybe you've wronged them, your first instinct ought to be that they are a follower of Jesus just like you. That is our DNA as a Pentecost people. It's true of us at Hyde Park United Methodist for 120 years, and it's been true of the church for 2,000. We have a common identity. And so the second question, the natural follow-up question is, so what? What are we going to do with that common identity? And so in that Pentecost moment, the second gift is that we have been given a common purpose. A common purpose. Notice the movement in the story. It's unmistakable. It starts out pretty small, and then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. It starts out in a house, a very meager house with four walls, and in that are just a handful of disciples, and they experience Pentecost, the wind and the flame and the languages, but they don't stay there. Acts says that the Spirit moves them out beyond the walls of that house, out into the streets, out into the urban core of Jerusalem, and there they are joined by thousands of people who had been receiving the Holy Spirit just as well, but it didn't stay there. In the following chapters in the book of Acts, the Spirit moves them beyond the city of Jerusalem into the surrounding area so that more and more people could experience the good news of Jesus Christ, but it didn't stop there. By the end of the book of Acts, we see that the message of God's love has spread throughout the entire known world, but it didn't stop there because we now are the people of Acts So that message of God's love has not only transcended space, it has 
across through time for 2,000 years, one generation after another, transmitting the good news of the gospel until it gets to us today. And it shouldn't stay here. That's the real message of Pentecost. The love of God, the transformative power of Jesus Christ should not stay here. We are here to take that message out there. That's the default movement of the Holy Spirit. It's not for us as Hyde Park United Methodist to keep God's love for ourselves. It is to make God's love real for every single person out in the community and out in the world. Jim Harnish, my predecessor, was once asked, how big should Hyde Park United Methodist be? And his response was this, as long as there is one person out in the community who has not yet experienced the love of God, this church isn't big enough. The primary purpose of this church is not for ourselves, it is for people out there. And frankly, that goes for each one of us. Your primary purpose when you come here to this campus, when you experience worship, is not to have your needs met. I hate to break it to you, but worship is not about whether it does it for you or not, whether it's entertaining or not, whether the music is good or not, but thank God all the time it is whether the sermon is good or not. I mean, I try my best, but it's not about that either. It is not about whether you get what you need. Worship, the worship of God, is about learning to meet the needs of others who are not yet part of this church. That's been true of this church for 120 years, true of the global church for 2,000 years, and it needs to be true for you and me. Our orientation ought to be about making a difference in the lives of other people. And that's also true, by the way, for the United Methodist Church when we're at our best. It's one reason I love to go to annual conference. It's the gathering of Methodists all throughout the state of Florida. We just had it this past week in Lakeland because it's there that we get to experience stories and examples of how the United Methodist Church has been and can be at its best. There were a lot of Pentecost moments in Lakeland this past week. We heard lots of ways that, that Methodists are making God's love real. We, we took up an offering. We, we, we took up $37,000 in order to start a brand new ministry for incarcerated women in, in the Lowell Correctional Facility in Marion County. We started brand new ministries to the college students at FAMU. We have a new emphasis on Latino and Latina ministries here in the conference. We, we learned that there are 14,000 Methodist churches who have now partnered with a great agency called Zoe. And Zoe's purpose is to work with children in Africa who are locked in poverty and to free them from poverty forever. And we heard that because of the Methodist efforts, 1,000 children in Africa have been pulled out of poverty and their trajectory of life has been changed forever. We learned about innovative ministries that churches all across the state of Florida are trying to express God's love in new ways, to new people, in new places. It was an exciting time filled with lots of Pentecost moments. But I think one of the primary Pentecost moments came in the area of LGBTQ inclusion. 20 years ago, I was a freshly commissioned minister in the United Methodist Church, and I attended one of my very first 
annual conference gatherings in Lakeland. And in that conference, back in 1999, the conference was deliberating over a resolution. A resolution is basically a statement that we were considering, a statement that had a whole bunch of therefores, I'm sorry, there, <laughs> a whole bunch of whereases, and then a bunch of therefores. It basically is a way of saying, this is what we want to be, this is what we want to do in this particular area. And the resolution 20 years ago was calling the conference to speak out against gay teen suicide. That's all it was, to say we're against gay teenagers taking their lives. And the resolution failed. After that vote, I left the assembly hall and went over to the prayer garden, and I was just weeping. Bewildered by a church that I had just pledged to serve. How could we do this? How could we decide this? I thought about that moment this past February when the last general conference had its meeting in St. Louis, and many of you know what it was, what its conclusion was, to maintain our stance against LGBTQ inclusion, to be against people getting to marry whoever they want to marry, and, and for people to serve as ministers. And I've thought about so many of my LGBTQ friends who are more talented in the ministry than I am, and they can't be a minister like me. I thought about all that. In the wake of St. Louis, this past annual conference, just last Friday, considered another resolution. And in this resolution, there were these words. We will value all and work toward the full inclusion of LGBTQ plus persons in the life of the conference that we as a church stand with and for our LGBTQ sisters and brothers, our siblings in Christ, and that we will stand with them so that they can get married in the church and serve in ministerial offices, that we would be an ally. And this past week, two days ago, that resolution passed 68 to 32 percent. doesn't change the policy. The policies can't be changed until general conference, which meets again this next spring. But it is a declaration of who we believe we can be and what we will try to be because we believe that we are Pentecost people. And at that moment of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit did two things. It obliterated the boxes, it tore down our differences, and it declared that for whatever reason we might be different, we are all one and the same, children of God, followers of Jesus. And now our impulse, our purpose, our heartbeat is to reach out in love to anyone who's been marginalized, anyone who's been harmed and oppressed, anyone who has not experienced the full love of God, whether it be an impoverished person who needs a hand up or a skeptical person who needs a different way of viewing God or a gay and lesbian person who just needs to be loved. Whoever they are, our primary purpose is to go to them.
That's Pentecost. It's been in our DNA for 120 years and been in the church for 2,000. And the real question for us this morning is, is it going to stay here or is it going to go out there? Let's pray together. God, we thank you that we are people of Pentecost, that our impulse as Christians is to celebrate our oneness in you, our oneness in the Spirit, and to take your love and make a difference to others. However way this message today hits people, make it real for them. Perhaps in this place or watching online, there's a a person struggling with a relationship with someone who's different from them or someone who's wronged them or that they've wronged. Help them to see each other with new eyes. Perhaps there's a tendency for some of us to, to keep your love for ourselves rather than for looking for opportunities to reach out in service to others. Remind us, God, that worship is not about us and about feeding our needs, that the worship of you is about learning to meet the needs of others. Help us to continue the spirit of Pentecost so that generations after and people around the world can receive what we've received, your love made real. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit and let all God's people say, amen. And so, in response to God's word this morning, we invite you to give the fullness of yourselves in the form of your tithes, your offerings, the commitments of your heart, your prayer concerns, and your joys as we invite the ushers to come forward.